You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. All right, it's been a while since I've been uh, with you guys in Coastal, but it's uh, super exciting to be here and uh, looking forward to uh, doing this series. I know Brian probably did uh, a more than adequate, if not awesome, job last week for you guys in the introduction. Uh, He probably went through all my structural engineering analogies of relationships. That's as romantic as I get, is talking about over-excavation, recompaction, Mat slabs, ductile moment frame buildings, fireproofing and cladding. So hopefully you got all you needed to know about relationships out of uh, that. And uh, so uh, we're going to kind of do uh, a series now uh, where the next three lessons really go together. Uh, We're going to start very broad. We're going to start with the big picture uh, of just God himself and His design for us, and His design for relationships. And uh, the limitations that God has set on that, which uh, I think we're going to start broad uh, and really see that God is a very permissive God. And so our view of God has got to be very... uh, It's very critical how we see God uh, in terms of our relationship. So it really starts with that. It starts with the big picture. It starts with God. Uh, Next week will be uh, a summary of this book, The Sacred Search. Uh, So hopefully you guys have had a chance to read that. I really recommend anybody who wants to pursue, and this is of course an optional thing. Uh, This is a state on earth only when we're talking about dating and marriage. It does not exist in heaven. Uh, There will be no Brian and Dessa. There will just be Brian, and then there will be Dessa, right? There will just be Steve, and there will be Jackie, and they'll be like, you are really familiar to me. Um, Were we married? Is that what it is? Uh, So that doesn't exist in heaven, but on earth, uh, that's certainly a state that is sanctioned by God, but it is not an eternal one. So if this is something you desire... Uh, in terms of relationship and marriage, I really recommend reading that book because uh, what we're going to talk about today is really how permissive God is in this area. And so, in some ways, you have to be even more selective than God Almighty uh, in terms of your choice in marriage. And that's what that book, The Sacred Search, is all about, is really helping you to be selective. Uh, And then uh, part three of the series is all kind of best practices of Christian dating, really nuts and bolts of best practices and godly patterns and uh, really seeing what the Bible says about it. And uh, so that's kind of where we're going for the next three weeks. that sound all right? If you are married, if you don't want to be, or if this doesn't apply to you, I would really encourage you to still stay engaged. Uh, my wife and I led a Bible talk when we were in the marriage ministry, and in that Bible talk we had empty nesters, uh, and then we had single parents, and then we had uh, uh, people uh, that were married with kids. So it made it very difficult to do any kind of a series, because I thought if we focus on parenting, there's all these empty nesters that are gonna, that doesn't apply to them. They already uh, swung, and, and that, that 
they already tried that, uh, right? Or uh, if we talked, did a series on marriage, there was single parents that that didn't apply to them. So it really was difficult. So every time we did a series, we really had to ask one of those groups just to hang with us while we go through this series because the rest of us really need it. So I realize this series may not apply to everybody in the audience, so just hang out and I'll try to make it at least enjoyable and funny and we'll get through it together. And if it doesn't apply to you, keep in mind that uh, it doesn't apply to me either. So uh, it'll apply to somebody in your life at some point and you can give them all the advice that you have learned in these uh, series. Amen? So let's start with the big picture, right? If we're going to talk about relationships, we got to start at the very beginning. And you're like, how long is part one then, if we're starting with Genesis chapter one? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what does that look like, Steve? That is the same font in the beginning of Star Wars. And I know that you are led by a complete nerd in South Bay, so I just decided we may as well we may as well start in the beginning and, and throw Steve a bone right here at the beginning. This is probably how it looked, you know, as the earth was being created. That's probably how God wrote the original Bible, and Moses just was taking dictation as it was scrolling across the heavens. It says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Amen? You know, the desire for companionship is not a sinful desire. Amen? I am grateful uh, to have had a companion in my life uh, for many years. This is, uh, we, my wife and I, Sean, have been married for 22 years now. We got married in San Pedro. Uh, and uh, it's not San Pedro, I know that. Um, uh, right there at the Cabrillo Marina, there's, uh, there's Brian and uh, there's Dessa. And uh, it was a great day. I know many of you desire to see this day happen in your life. And so companionship is not a sinful desire. I think sometimes we're, we're led to feel that way. Like, should I just be content? Should I just be happy? Should I just not desire it? Should I just quench these desires? No, I don't think so. Companionship is a natural desire. In fact, the picture of Adam in the Garden of Eden is a metaphor of God in heaven. Right? And here's what I mean. God in heaven was surrounded by all of His creation, and yet no suitable helper was found for God. Is that not right? And so God created a helper that would be suitable for Him. God created a bride in the church. And God has not yet been united with His bride. He is still single he is engaged, but only together with this church and with all those who have ever believed will we be made perfect 
as the true bride of Christ. So God Himself has made a helpmeet in the church that is His only suitable Maker. No one else in heaven, not the angels, not all the heavenly hosts, were found to be a suitable helper for God. So God in heaven is single and desires our companionship. I don't know why, but that is His desire. And so one day we will be presented to God in this wedding that is described in Revelation chapter 21. And that's going to be a great day. Amen? So the desire for companionship is not a sinful desire. It's a godly desire. Amen? Uh, And so because Adam, no suitable helper could be found, he made a helper suitable for him. And so the first command that God gives to Adam and Eve is this. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Does that make sense? Those are the first words that Adam heard from God is you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. God's first command is freedom and permissive. Sometimes our view of God is if it's fun, God has outlawed it already. If I want it, it's probably sinful. If it's a desire that I have, I'm sure it's wrong and it's forbidden. But that's not really our God. God's first command is you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And then He set one boundary. And do you realize this is the first covenant God made with man? And then it just got a lot more complex after that. Right? Every covenant became much more demanding and much more restrictive. But the first covenant God made with man is total freedom and one boundary. Then why did God even set a boundary? Why did He even set a limit? Why did He make a restriction at all? Well, this is a picture of my kids a couple years ago. Uh, they're, they're definitely a little older than this now. And they're jumping on the trampoline in our backyard. Now, does it look like they're enjoying themselves? Yes, they're, they're having fun. I mean, usually that's what happens for the first five minutes until it becomes a UFC match, and then somebody's crying and somebody's hurt, and then we get off the trampoline. But usually for the first five minutes, it's really fun. Now, what you can't see is that all around the trampoline are brick walls, a concrete slab, and over here you can't see it. It's our bedroom window, a dual-pane glass window. So what's keeping these guys safe? What's allowing them to enjoy their time? What's allowing them to have the freedom to do backflips and front flips and fly all around and, and fly off? Well, this one little boundary. If I took that netting off, the trampoline actually becomes a lot less enjoyable because now they are being totally careful because there is danger all around them. But as long as that thing's on there, you know, the worst thing that could happen is like a dislocation of their neck or something else by the trampoline. But at least they won't fall on the concrete or hit a brick wall or fly through a plate glass window. So our view of God has got to be that God is all about our freedom and our enjoyment, that He is not a restrictive God. Amen? The only thing God set a boundary in is the thing that would protect them from death, from the knowledge of good and evil, from shame, from sin, from from covering their self. And of course, they did sin, and that's when sacrifice entered the world. 
The first blood sacrifice was a result of Adam and Eve's sin because they tried to cover themselves with leaves. And God said that's not a suitable covering. He sacrificed an animal, covered them with animal skins. Which again is another metaphor of Christ and His death and us being clothed with Christ when we are baptized into Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3. Because our good works, our best effort to cover our shame and to cover our nakedness and to cover ourselves, it just is not enough. God Himself had to provide a sacrifice for our sins. And so sometimes this is our view of God. If everything we want to do, God is opposed to it. And I think we've got to wrestle with our view of God, don't we? I think as singles, you have to wrestle with how do I view God? Is He for my freedom? Is He for my enjoyment? Or is He a God that is taking away from me constantly? I'm in the kingdom and my sole desire is to sacrifice all the good I could be having were it not for God and all of His laws. James 1.25, you know, you might think, well, that's the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, it says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that does what? What does God's perfect law do? Gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So why does God set boundaries? Why does He create limits for us? It's not to restrict us, but to protect us. And it's to allow you to experience within those boundaries true freedom. As a parent, when you create boundaries for your kids and you're firm on those boundaries, they'll test them, believe me. They go flying into that net. I mean, they have tested the tensile stress of that net for sure. But it has never failed. And I know we test God's limits. But if we stay within them, you will have true freedom. And so that you will be blessed. This is uh, the El Capitan Trail in uh, Spain. Here's another look at it here. This was the trail up until about 2005. No railing and missing boards. And after enough people just fell off and died, they closed it for about five years and built this new one with the rail. Now, she still looks terrified. I mean, she's still as far, you know, away from that rail as possible, as if, like, some... Have you ever, like, thought, like, I was actually at... Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? Like, I was sitting there, I was mesmerized. Part of me just literally, at the top of that thing, wanted to just jump in. I felt, like, mesmerized by it. And actually, I asked our guide, and she said, yeah... A few people every year just like just jump in because they get hypnotized. Anyway, that's off topic. All I'm saying is, does this railing look like it's taking away all the fun and the thrill of this whole experience? <laughs> no. I mean, it still looks scary. I, I'm not sure if I would go even with a helmet, a guardrail, an attachment, and a guide but I certainly wouldn't risk that old trail, not even for the thrill of it. What are the boundaries that God does set in the Bible? When it comes to dating and marriage in the New Testament, 
it is surprisingly very, very few boundaries that he sets. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives these instructions to a woman who is available for marriage. And it says, much like Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Do you see that? Just like in Genesis, God's first command was total freedom. He set one boundary for their Adam and Eve's protection. And so he only sets one boundary for those who would like to be married as Christians. And that one boundary is you must belong to the Lord. They must belong to the Lord. And we're going to talk about what that means. So that's the who. There's one boundary in terms of who. Well, they must belong to the Lord. They must be gods. They must be a disciple of Christ. A true believer, true, blue, committed to God. And God knows who are His. Amen? 1 Corinthians 7.39 is that scripture. Ephesians 5.3, this is the how we do it. This is the only boundary in terms of how because there's so many other cultural ways. You could have an arranged marriage, really. You, you really could in India or wherever it is. If they belong to the Lord, the how of dating is so different all along every culture. And so actually the Bible does not give us a lot of insight into the how because it really uh, it depends on based on where you live and all of the traditions and cultures. And so the bound. The boundaries of the Bible do not really dictate the how, except for this. Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So there's the boundary of how is doing it a pure... ...pretty much given up on purity. Most churches have pretty much said, let's get all our singles in a room... Let's hope they find somebody. We're going to kind of turn our eye the other way and pretend that they're doing okay. And once they're married, then good. It's problem solved. And that in-between time, they just don't want to have to worry about it. They don't want to have to think about it. La, 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 la. You should probably stay pure. I would recommend purity. Oh, good. You're married. And that's not our approach in this church. Amen? What Satan wants you to feel is, wow, that's what God says? You have to marry a Christian and you have to stay pure? You must be in prison. And isn't that how, God, how Satan snuck in, made it seem like to Eve? Prison was like God set one bar up and Satan said, see, you're in prison. I mean, really, that's about it. One law that they could not break. And Satan was able to manipulate that through exaggeration, to make it seem that God had boxed them in. Right? Did God really say, and that is Satan's tactic, is to take the boundaries of God that are placed there for your protection, that within those boundaries you could experience true freedom, happiness, and blessing, and he wants you to test that net on out. Did God really say? What is Satan's end game? to get you to question God's boundaries, for one, but also God's motive, God's overall love for you, to make God seem overprotective and restrictive. Exaggerate God's boundaries so that you feel like you're not really free but unjustly imprisoned. 
God's, uh, Satan's first words to Eve were, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, think about that for a second. That was all they could eat at that time, right? Was seed-bearing plants. Thank God Noah offered a sacrifice and God smelled it and said, all right, you can now barbecue as well. So I praise God for Noah. But they were, unfortunately, vegetarians at this time. And if they could not eat from any tree, they would have died. So you see what Satan is trying to make them do? Like, God is literally trying to kill you. And she backpedaled and said, no, 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 that's not really what God said. But, but it was like inception. A seed had been planted. And sometimes that's all Satan needs. It's just this feeling that God is holding out on you. This feeling that God is not just. And the other thing is Satan wants the forbidden, the boundary to seem like, oh man, on the other side of this net, that's the good stuff. I mean, but that's, don't worry about it. If that's, you know, again, it's inception. Satan is trying to plant those seeds to get us to wander from God. And the world is trying to do it too, you know what I mean? We have this romantic view of you know, love and rebellion and woo, you know, all the movies are not about, you don't go see a movie about two people who are interested in each other, get advice about their relationship, um, date in a pure way, uh, stand before the altar and the minister praises them for their purity, and uh, then they become family group leaders. I don't know that that is a plot of any Hollywood movie. This is the plot, you know, break the rules, stand apart, ignore your head, follow your heart. Man, that's the plot of a movie right there. If you obey all the rules, you'll miss all the fun. And this is kind of the message that the world is telling us. Media, Satan, it's all the same. They're all, it's all inception, isn't it? Just trying to get you to feel something about God. You know, speaking of Hollywood, uh, I don't recommend this movie. Uh, this is one of those, like, you see it before you're a Christian, and afterwards you're like, whoa, guys, sorry, I did not know that I forgot that scene. I had no standard before. But anyway, I'm still going to use it, but that's my disclaimer. I can see it. You can't. Uh, but The Graduate, 1967, best picture. Uh, this is the final scene where Dustin Hoffman, who is a colossal jerk through the whole movie, and he runs, and Elaine, the girl that he has, that he kind of likes, but he was having an affair with her mom anyway, she's marrying a guy who's a good guy, and the families approve of it. It's a good situation for her, much better than him. But in a romantic act of passion, he runs to the church. He can't get in, so he bangs on the window and starts screaming her name. And she in a heat of passion, follows him out the door. He uses the cross to try to beat everybody off and then throws it through the door to lock everybody in. And they run and they jump on the bus. And, and what's interesting about this film is in every other Hollywood picture since, the credits roll and you're left to assume, wow, that was crazy. But somehow they lived happily ever after. <laughs> Their families hate him. That guy's a jerk. He's like all disillusioned with life. And, and how is that going to work? He's already had an affair with his now mother in law. I mean, but you forget all that. You walk out and it's like, oh man, they lived happily ever after. But the thing about this movie is 
they just let the cameras roll for a while. And everybody in the bus is staring at them, and they're looking at each other, and they're laughing. And like literally about a minute or two later, it begins to sink into them the consequences of their actions. And they really stop smiling. She starts looking down. You can tell that now shame is what's in her life. And you can tell for him that like regret is what's in his mind. And the song that starts playing is what? Anybody know? Sounds of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. So the end of the movie is foretelling the future that, no, 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 this is crash and burn time. But see, we don't live in a world of reality anymore. This would be what their Facebook page looks like. It's like, oh my gosh, they totally did it, not God's way, but they're so happy. Everybody's happy, but us, us poor Christians with all these boundaries and limits from God and my friends, and everybody seems okay because we're living life now through just snapshots of a few bits of information from people. And so this would be their Facebook page. It would not look like that, right? And so I think FOMO is now a real thing, right? It is the fear of missing out. Anxiety that, that an exciting or interesting event may be currently happening somewhere. And so some of you even now are on Facebook just to, because something might be happening. One of your friends might be doing something and you can like it or you can happy face it or sad face it or whatever it is. But it's all happening to other people and not to you. Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? And what, what I think we need to do is backpedal a bit and really see things from God's perspective, right? God has set a boundary of who? They must belong to the Lord. And God has set a boundary of how? Not a hint of impurity. And the way God sees it is you literally have thousands of disciples who are single all over the world that love God, that desire a pure relationship, and that desire marriage. So God's not thinking, I'm holding out on you. God is thinking, I'm protecting you from falling off the bridge here, but I have given you thousands and thousands of options here. Uh, you know, I've had the chance to travel. We worked in the Middle East uh, for, for years there in Beirut and Jordan. And, uh, you know, these are countries, especially like a Jordan, that are 99% Muslim nations. And these are churches of about 80 people, and most of them come into the church already married. And so there's usually about five singles. Every time I go, so-and-so's dating so-and-so, and now they're married, and they've got a child. And then there's a couple new singles, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. They're now married, and they've started a family, and they're super excited. And, you know, it's like I'm always a little bit shocked and a little bit like, how do I explain to these people that where I come from, we have thousands of singles who love God and we're not, we feel like God is holding out on us. I almost think this church is like the Cheesecake Factory. There's too many choices. I hate that place. It's like, you feel like if I get this, there's like 126 good things that I'm not going to get. Why do you think In-N-Out is so popular, man? It's like, I'll have a 
Double hamburger animal style, fries and um, iced tea lemonade, man. Every time I go there, I get the same thing. And I mean, I'd do it right now if we had one close by, man. That's, and I think that's sometimes the way it is. I honestly feel, it, from what I know about marriage, because it's not spiritual people that get married. It's selfish jerks that think they're spiritual that realize, oh my gosh, I think about myself all day long, every day, and now I'm married, and this is going to be hard. I have to think about myself a lot less. So it's a myth that only spiritual people get married. No, no, no. We're all selfish and unprepared for marriage. And so God begins to mold us. I told Ronnie uh, Magania, he's a disciple in Orange County, and he said uh, he, he got engaged and is now married through DT Heart and Soul. Uh, to a sister overseas. And I said, Ronnie, how much did you change to become a Christian? And if you know Ronnie, he changed, man. I mean, he was like Santa Ana, ghetto. I mean, Ronnie has some stories, man. Ronnie's stories are great. Man, the one where he was running from the cops and hid in uh, a pile of manure overnight uh, to stay warm and then uh, took a cab and paid the guy with stolen watches, the cab driver, to drive him home. That's my brother, Ronnie. <laughs> I said, Ronnie, how much did you change to become a Christian? He said, a lot. I said, that's how much Ronnie single to Ronnie husband, that's the same distance. And I think we've we got to realize, if you want to be married, there's a change. There's a total change. And I think we were willing to do it for God, are we willing to go that distance to really have intimacy and to have a relationship? Uh, I feel like if the ushers, and I've instructed them to, locked the doors tonight, there's probably 20 happy marriages in this room. I really believe that. I, don't think, I think there's probably 20 men and 20 women who could be happily married if they were willing to be just disciples, sacrifice for them, of themselves, to love another person more than they love themselves, there's probably 20 happy marriages in this room. I feel like, honestly, if my wife passed away, I don't worry about the opportunity that I see because in the fellowship, and I'm not looking, but I see radiant sisters all over, and I kind of envy, like, I wish that I could be just a brother encouraging them every single weekend, not even because I like them, just because they deserve to be encouraged. But what Satan makes this bridge seem, that's God's view of it, is have at it, you know? I have, there are thousands of faithful disciples all over this world that are single, that desire to be married, uh, that desire to be pure, and Satan's like, yeah, right. This is, what this, this is the scenario God has put you in, so good luck with it. And one of the things that I think that we want to compromise sometimes is both boundaries. And my feeling is if you're willing to compromise who's really a Christian, who really belongs to the Lord, who is really a true disciple of Christ, then you are also willing to compromise in your purity. Now, I don't think purity is just related to that because I think even two disciples can struggle with their purity if they don't have great boundaries in their relationship. But one thing I know is if you are willing to compromise and say, I'm pretty sure they're a Christian, then I know you're also willing to compromise in your purity.
And so I want to see what is a real Christian. Because I know that as disciples, sometimes we do get discouraged. And there's a temptation, well, hey, we're not in a Muslim nation, right? We're in a Christian nation. There is churches everywhere. And there's Christian mingle. And there's other opportunities to date someone who claims that they are a Christian. Well, Christian Mingle, which is the same company as JDate, which is a Jewish dating site, they don't care what religion you are, they just want you to enroll. Um, they do a survey of participants in their website that consider themselves Christian. And so here's some of the results of that survey, because I think as disciples, we need to see the difference between what the world says and what the broader Christian world says a Christian is, and what the convictions of a true disciple who follows God's Word is. Amen? How important is it to marry someone of the same faith? Like you're going on to Christian Mingle to marry someone, I guess who's a Christian, but for 13% of men, that's important to them. The other 87% are like, whatevs. (laughs) Women, 20%. Marry someone of the same faith. That's... You insist on it. That's important to you. The next few are just how much input are you getting, right? In terms of this church, we talk about, you know, discipleship, input, people involved in helping you in your life. Sometimes, especially with who you date and marry, you kind of need an outside perspective. And we'll talk about that next week when we go through the uh, physiological phenomenon of infatuation. You need input, Most people are asking nobody on these websites. There's nobody really in their life. Who do you ask for input on dates? Nobody. Most people are asking no one. Are you talking with leaders, spiritual people, religious leadership? Only 11, 1 out of 10 men, 2 out of 10 women are getting input from somebody spiritual in their life. Same statistic for who they marry. 1 in 10 guys is asking somebody... You know, a mentor, hey, do you think this is a good person for me? And one out of four women. And of course, this is the, uh, the big one that all the other stuff was just filler to get to this question. How many of you would be willing to have sex before you're married? Which again, that's kind of one of the, you know, God doesn't put a whole lot of restrictions on it. That's one of them. Eight percent of men would say no that I will only have sex after marriage. And 19% of women says, no, it's going to have to wait to marriage. What's amazing is that even and, uh, it, men and women, there's the breakdown, and it really doesn't matter the age either. You know, sometimes you think, well, it's just the young people that can't keep their hands off. No, old people are horn dogs as well. I mean, they... You kind of get a little conviction in your early 30s. You make a good go of it. Then you let yourself go, I guess, after that. What about living together? Only 7% of men on Christian Mingle say, yes, that's going to happen after we marry. We're going to get an apartment live together. So 93% of men on Christian Mingle are willing to live together before marriage. And I guess 1% of those are saying, we'll live together, but we won't have sex. I don't know why that's less than the other one. But nevertheless, 18% of women. And so what I'm asking is, is that a Christian to you? Is that really what the Bible calls us to? So if we're on a website 
the, those are the general populace. My question is, what are you looking for? What kind of companionship are you looking for? And what kind of compromise are you willing to make on who really is a true Christian? And if that's the compromise, then guess what other compromise is coming? And those are the only boundaries God set. And just the same as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with total freedom, with very few restrictions, Satan is really winning and doing a number on us, guys. So I totally applaud those who are willing to stay abstinent, those who are willing to date in a pure way, those who are willing to not compromise and say, listen, I'd rather be single than compromise my convictions. I really do applaud you guys. I'm super grateful for you. God is totally proud of you for standing your ground. And the Bible says, of course, do not yoke, be yoked with unbelievers. Again, if you look through the Scriptures on, on really what it means to be a believer in Christ and to be a t- true Christian, uh, the, the definition there is not vague. It's just Satan that is trying to make it vague. I look at our church and I look at the vetting process. And if you're not familiar with our church, you'll get familiar with it. Uh, it's not just, hey, man, we're so glad you're here. Sign this and you'll be a member. What we do is we get together one-on-one with somebody and we really talk about, are you seeking God? Do you, are you, do you desire a walk, a relationship with God? We get together again and say, do you accept that the Bible is God's standard, that it's above your thoughts, opinions, that it doesn't matter what you think, God's Word is supreme and really we follow God's Word. That's our standard. That's what we're striving for. Do you really want to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you want to follow Him in a committed covenant relationship? Do you want to seek God and His kingdom first? Do you want to be a part of the body of Christ? Are you willing to confess your sin and really get open with who you are in your life? Get totally honest and repent of all of your sins. Try to crucify that sinful nature and deal with it. Even the addictive sins that that may require a chemical recovery ministry or a uh, a purity, uh, you know, a sexual addiction ministry, a divorce care, or whatever it is, we have all that. If if there is sin that you can't just go pray about it, bro, but no, I really am in chains here and I need to repent. We go through that to become a, a member of this church. We talk about the importance of Jesus and His death on the cross and that that's the engine for all we... So that, and then... We confess Jesus Christ is Lord to a a surrounding group of brothers and sisters who are witnesses of that confession, and we are baptized into Christ. That's what we call a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ. And that's not really what is being taught in a lot of Christian churches, I do dare say. Most, it's like, do you believe in Jesus? Me too. Welcome to the kingdom. You know what I mean? It's just... That whole process is removed. So when I made a decision to become a disciple, I knew these are my peeps. These are my potential mates. These are the potential companions that God might have for me. Amen? And if the thousand single disciples in L.A. are not enough for you, there is also DT Heart and Soul. Uh, There have been 37 marriages. There have been 16 in the last year. There's three current engagements, and now those uh, couples are starting to have kids. DT Heart and Soul was started by a disciple that had a heart for the singles and said, here's a hundred grand, design this website. 
And uh, there's about 1,000 members of DT Heart and Soul. About 750 of those are women. So brothers, if I'm looking at that ratio, I'm signing up tonight. And we've seen it work in our ministry. Matt Flores, who went on the Tucson mission team, uh, married Ritual. Uh, Ronnie Magana, that brother I talked about earlier, uh, married Gigi, who she was living in Cyprus at the time, but is also from the Philippines. And then uh, brother Steve Berger uh, married Joyce. And uh, it, it's been really cool to see these relationships. None of these guys are spring chickens other than Matt. Uh, Steve is 53 and Joyce is 42. She was in the kingdom 22 years. Uh, Gigi was a disciple 18 years. Uh, Ronnie as well, about 20 years in the faith. And Ronnie and Gigi are classic, man. Every morning it's like a picture of faith. Like they're the only people I believe their Facebook life is really real because they just, they're totally in love with each other and uh, really did it God's way. And I realize, guys, uh, I don't want to be flipping about this. First Peter 2 talks about, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I mean, that's really what Satan is after. And believe me, it's not like marriage and ah, the war is over, you know? Smooth sailing ahead, no struggle with purity, pornography will never be an issue because my wife and I will have all the sex we ever want ten times a day. And guys, there are probably more marrieds in our church struggling with pornography because a physical intimate relationship requires true trust in one another. It requires giving of yourself. It requires loving somebody more than you love themselves. And so even that is a source of a lot of tension in marriage. So it's not like marriage, the war is over for them. And I think that's what Satan tells all singles, is that this is the solution to all my problems. If you look at David, man, he was more pure as a single man with his relationship with Jonathan and that best friendship that those guys had together than he was after Jonathan died. And he had another guy in his life, Nathan, but he was not as close to him. And that intimacy was gone, and he was struggling. David allowed himself to become isolated relationally, and he began to struggle with sin much more as a married person than he ever did as a single. So, guys, we're all in this war together, right? Married, singles, it's a war for our soul. And I think the decision of who you marry really is a big part of winning this war for your soul. Choosing somebody of whom God knows. God is known to them and they are known to God and they belong to the Lord. And so to close out, we'll have some discussion questions. I don't know if you break into discussions. Maybe you can take a picture on your uh, mobile device. Uh, and ask yourself, do, do I have FOMO? Do I have a fear of missing out? A am I allowing this fear of missing out to influence my decisions and my standards. Next is, how do I view God and His boundaries? I mean, do I feel like God is all for me, right? God is in my corner. He has put a net around me to allow me to do backflips and jump for joy. And the only restriction is so that I don't crack my head on the pavement. God, is, is He all about your freedom, protection, and blessing? Or is He holding out on you, right? Are God's boundaries restrictive and overprotective?
Do you ever feel that way, that God is holding out on you? So again, tonight we've really talked about the big picture, about God's very few boundaries. Next week we're going to actually narrow it down a little bit more. All those people on the bridge, I still wouldn't recommend that some of those people get married, right? Being a disciple of Jesus is like the minimum. There are disciples who I've seen make very poor decisions to another person who I believe is going to heaven, but I don't believe is going to lead that sister or that brother to heaven. So this is just the minimum. This is just where you start. And then you've got to really narrow down, you know, what are my standards in terms of, uh, you know, who am I looking for as a disciple? What other, you know, what are character traits are important to me? What convictions are important to me? That's when we really begin to narrow it down even more. But I wanted to start tonight just with our picture of God, because I think that really will influence uh, everything about our uh, single life. Amen? Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And uh, God, we just ask that uh, we would see you clearly. I know sometimes we really don't, uh, Father. Sometimes uh, you feel so distant to us. Sometimes it's Satan's voice constantly that we're hearing and uh, your voice gets drowned out, God. And so I pray that we would really war against that voice, God, that we would take a stand against that voice and that, that we would hear your voice, God, that we are loved, that you, God, are all about setting us free. And Father, we came from places of slavery to sin. We came from places that were dysfunctional. We came from relationships that did not glorify you. And so, Father, you've given us a new opportunity. You've cleansed us from all those past sins and given us opportunities uh, to do it right. And God, we really ask your great blessing in this area in our church that we would continue to have relationships that glorify you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.